in this series called Stand Firm. And I love this series from the perspective that we need to stand firm. Attacks are coming. Christians, believers, people are being knocked out time and time again. And I'm tired of it, frankly. I'm tired of it because there's nothing better than to live your life for Christ. There's nothing better than to live your life for Christ than to lead your family in that way, to live that way with your friends in your workplace, in this world, and a lifelong a life full of obedience for your whole life is a powerful and a beautiful thing. And so what we want to talk about is how do you stand firm? Because we see people being knocked out all the time. And, and we're basing this, this uh, series on a passage out of Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul, who, who is writing to a church in, a, in Ephesus, and he's writing to them and he's saying, Look, stand firm. Satan is scheming to attack you. He's got tricks and schemes, and, and he's working his angle to try to knock you out. But in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the power of God, you don't have to get taken out. Stand firm. Hold your ground. You're going to face battles. There's no, there's no like sugarcoating things here and saying, you know, um, you know, being a follower of Christ, your life is just going to be roses. It's going to be just so beautiful and easy and all of a sudden, you've got God with you now. He's going to fight every battle for you. If that's the case, this scripture doesn't fit into that. Because what he's saying is here, you will face battles. Absolutely will face battles. And these aren't just simple little battles. These are battles that are designed to take you out and to knock you down. So you need to stand firm. And then Paul, looking at the, the Roman soldiers of his day and warfare that day, looks to a Roman soldier and he sees how this, this, this soldier is prepared for battle. And he looks at what he's got to defend himself against, uh, against the attacks. And he says, this is how it should be in your Christian life. And he looks at the soldier and then he gives us these six uh, different ways that we can be prepared against the attacks of Satan. And he says, you need to have the belt of truth firmly girded around your waist. Right? The belt of truth. What is, and so what we talked about is one way that Satan wants to attack us is through lies. All right? He wants to attack us through the lies. And so if we allow the lies to knock us out, we're done. And so he's saying, get girded with the belt of truth. Then the second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, that's the body armor to protect our heart, to guard our heart against the things that, that are going to steal our heart, the temptations, and we talked about those things. Last week, thank, uh, I thank uh, Larry for coming in to speak about the shoes of peace. And you kind of go, how does that protect us? But we're in a, in a world where peace is, is, uh, is hard to come by. And we are to be bearers of that peace and to bring that good news. And that's one way that we can fight off the attacks of complacency and just being lulled into this ineffectiveness in a faith. And he says, go and bring the good news. And then today I want to focus on the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And, and there's this passage when in, in this particular verse in Ephesians chapter 6 where this comes from. Here's what, here's what Paul says when he gets to the, the shield of faith. He says in verse 16, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. So in this case, he's saying the shield. Now, this is really important. He says in every battle, you're going to need the shield of faith. In every single battle, faith is going to come to bear. And what's, what's it guarding against? The fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Have you ever seen movies with fiery arrows? They're much cooler than regular arrows. Have you ever noticed that? Regular arrows just kind of go, right? Kind of, they can, they can kill somebody, they can hurt somebody, they can take somebody out. But fiery arrows, now that's intimidating. 
And if you've seen scenes like from, from Gladiator or some other movies, right, and they always take place like at dusk or, or, or at night so that you can really see the fire of the arrows, right? They dip those tips in, they light them, and then they all the archers pull back, and then they let them go, and it's like... It's a, one of these flaming torches, right? And what does the enemy do when they're on the other side? You see them hunkered down, they take the shield, and they, they guard, you know, they build this wall of, of, uh, of shields around them. And those arrows just come in, but then, you know, there's always that one guy that was like, what? You know, and then he's like, he's like burning, you know, and you're like, oh, that guy didn't grab his shield, right? Um, but there's something about why Paul didn't just say just arrows. There's something about fiery arrows that, 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 can, that can just start, even catch something on fire, even behind enemy lines, and, and it starts burning, and it can start consuming. And, and when these fiery arrows are aimed at us, sometimes something can hit us, and maybe it just doesn't knock us out at first, but the fire can kind of catch. And it can start burning, and it can start really burning us up. And, and the question is, what, what, are, what are these fiery arrows that Satan is aiming at us? Now, Paul doesn't say what those are, but I'm guessing if you need a shield of faith to protect you, that maybe the arrows that are aimed at you are arrows of doubt, arrows of discouragement, arrows that, that really are going to, where, where faith is really going to have to come and protect you in that. So I believe they're, they're doubt or unbelief, and that these are the attacks that so many times knock people out. And doubt is oftentimes the first hurdle even for anyone coming to Christ. And before we ever even get into this relationship with God and believe the truths there, doubt sits, boom, square in the middle. But for those who believe, it's doubt that creeps in afterward that begins to knock people out. And all of a sudden you start wondering, you have questions, and you know, is God really for me? And, and why is the why questions, right? Why is God letting this happen? Why did this this uh, person die? Or why is my marriage struggling? Or why can't I get pregnant? Or why did my mom die of cancer? Whatever. You ask all kinds of questions. And that can be the beginning where doubt kind of creeps in. Now, when I think about, when I think about, uh, about my life, I've had a lot of doubt. And one of the times where I remember it was kind of odd to be doubting was when I was in Bible school. <laughs> I took a year after college to go to Germany and be at a, at a Bible school there to kind of just to grow in my faith and, and eventually even felt that call in, to, to go into ministry. But squarely during that time, I really struggled with doubt. And especially when I think about basing my life on a faith and kind of going, this is crazy. Why would I spend my entire life, like, let, let me just become the engineer or the doctor or do whatever I, the lawyer I was going to be doing. Why would I base my whole life on this on the truth that's held in this book. And I really struggled with some of my own faith at that time and, and really wrestling through those pieces. And, and, and God really worked in that year to, to, to give me some of that faith. And I'm going to talk about some steps later of how that can happen. But then you think in terms of like, well, great, I, I overcame that, maybe that battle of doubt and, and have faith now. And, but you need to know that as your pastor, I still have doubt. I have doubts that, that creep in at, at different times in the course of a week. Sometimes they're... You know, I'm reading the Bible and I'm going, do I really believe this stuff? Yeah, good. go to another church now. Time to leave. <laughs> I do. I do believe this stuff, but that doesn't mean that there aren't times where I go, oh man, this is really pushing my faith to the limit to have to, you know, did that really happen? Or, or even just the questions again, like, God, where are you? God, why are you letting these things happen? God, we're, you know, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our own life and, and whether it's decisions we face and, and, and doubt creeps in and, you know, is this God that we're serving, is he really there? Is he real? Is this faith worth it? 
Sometimes we face so many different battles and hurdles, you just kind of go, man, you know, it would be just easier to forget this whole thing. Forget faith, forget going to church. Man, life would be so much easier if I didn't have to go to church and if, if I didn't give my, my, my tithe there. I'd have thousands of dollars more every year if I didn't tithe. I, I'd have more time on my hands. I wouldn't have to follow all these rules. I, I could just, just be, be free from all that and, and, and just go with the flow from what the world is doing. Am I the only one that's ever felt that or thought that? It's okay, we can admit it. What are your doubts? Where do your doubts come in when you think about faith and when you think about God, when you think about life? If God loved me, why? Maybe you face the, uh, the intellectual hurdles. The Bible is outdated. Silly stories, miracles, myths, fairy tales, superstition. Get enlightened. Think free. Open your eyes. Church just brainwashes you. Real modern people don't hold on to this ancient faith. Maybe your doubt comes not from those things, but it comes from self-doubt. Who am I kidding that I could be a follower of Christ, that I'm a Christian, based on my past, based on the struggles I have, based on my addictions? I'm not good enough to be a follower of Christ. I can't be like those other people at church that have it all together. Doubts, doubts. Doubts are creeping in. And maybe even if you've had a good, solid foundation in your faith, when we hear the stories, right, maybe when you're in college and you get confronted with all kinds of philosophies and schools of thought, and these same kind of voices are everywhere. They're in the media. They're on TV. They're in your classrooms. How do you deal with that stuff? It's interesting right now that there's a, a movie going to be released this week. Have you heard about it? God's Not Dead. It's, it releases actually this coming week uh, on Friday, and I would really strongly encourage all of us to go and see it. There's actually a book also by the same name uh, called, called God's Not Dead. And, and one of the premises there is faith doesn't have to be an uninformed decision, like a completely blind um, activity. But there are evidences and there are, are solid things that we can really base our life on and what we believe, and there are, are answers and defenses to some of the challenges that come our way. I want to show you, I'm going to take a little bit of time here, I'm just going to show you the full-length full trailer for this movie because I think it highlights some of the struggles that people have and also some of the challenges that we face when we deal with doubt and with faith. So take a look at this, this trailer and then we're going to continue on with, uh, with the message. You prayed and believed your whole life and here you are. Explain that to me. What do you say to people that are offended by your show? Because you pray to Jesus in every episode. If we disown him, he'll disown us. When a 12-year-old watches his mother dying of cancer, a God who would allow that is not worth believing in. Life is really a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Name? Uh, Wheaton. Josh Wheaton. Philosophy 150. You might want to think about a different uh, instructor. Come on, man, it can't be that bad. Think uh, Roman Coliseum, people cheering for your death. I am Professor Radisson, and this is Philosophy 150. I would like to bypass senseless debate altogether and jump to the conclusion which every sophomore is already aware of. There is no God. All that I require from each of you is that you fill in the papers I've just given you with three little words. God is dead. Wheaton is something wrong. I can't do what you want, I'm a Christian. If you cannot bring yourself to admit that God is dead, then you will need to defend the antithesis. 
think of Jesus as my friend. You think Jesus is God? I don't want to disappoint him. So your acceptance of this challenge may be the only meaningful exposure to God and Jesus they'll ever have. But to me, he's not dead. I don't want anyone to get talked out of believing in him just because this professor thinks they should. Mr. Wheaton, are you ready? We're going to put God on trial. If you think you're smarter than me, do not try to humiliate me in front of my students. In that classroom, there is a God. I'm him. This experiment is over. You get to decide who the most important person in your life is. Me, Professor Radisson. But I have to do this thing. Like it's something that God wants me to do. I, I can't just turn away from it. You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Me or God? God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. supports his existence you know the truth so why do you hate him it's a very simple question why do you hate god god's not dead he's surely alive he's living on the inside like a ooh intense this friday i encourage you to go see it I encourage you to get the book and i'm not going to spend our, my time this morning trying to prove the existence of god to you but I do want to talk about what faith is and what it's not and how it relates to doubt and how we can have faith in what God is doing. So let's look at two things. I want to, I want to look at two quick things about doubt, and then I'm going to jump into faith. Two quick things about doubt. Doubt is normal. I think this is important for us to realize. Doubt is normal. I think if we start feeling that doubt is abnormal, then the second we have doubt, we start going, oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? Do I really believe? And I can't stand up to the challenges, and I've got so many questions, and it can really fluster us. But I think if we just accept, you know, doubt, doubt is normal. It's not, it's not a bad thing to experience doubt because it is, and it just makes sense, it's the essence of dealing with things that are unseen. It's not like I'm asking you to say, is this, you know, is this a music stand right here? You know, it's not a big issue of faith or doubt. I mean, we're talking about things that have to do with the human soul. We, we, don't, we can't even see our own soul. You know, and I'm me, and I spend all my time with me, and I have to still figure out what, what is my soul? Who am I as a person? We're dealing with, as Scripture talks about here, things in the heavenly realms, spiritual things, things that are unseen, things that require these steps of faith. And of course, there's going to be some tension there, and, and doubt is normal through that. But doubt isn't just something we experience today. It's all throughout the Scriptures. You follow the Bible stories from, from cover to cover. There is doubt present all along, doubting God's promises, doubting whether what God is saying is true, doubting whether what God is calling people to do is true. We have, we have some of the heroes of the faith, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Gideon, the Israelite people over and over doubted God and fell away from God. And yet some of these same people are in the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame, uh, the Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's it. Um, in, in Hebrews chapter chapter 11, we read some of these heroes, the same ones that doubted, the same ones that struggled. There's a, there's a point where the disciples weren't able to cast out a demon from a, from a boy, and, and Jesus had given them that authority. And they asked him why they couldn't do it. And so even the disciples struggled with doubt, struggled with having enough faith to do what, what, what Jesus had told them to do. And, and, um, and so 
uh, well, let me see here. Well, one thing he tells them, he says, you know, it, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. And he's saying something like, faith is so powerful, but yet, even if it's that small, how hard it is for some people to have faith and for us to have faith. And if we just had it, what would be possible? And then there's even one of the disciples, one of the 12 disciples. I mean, the guys, right? The ones that started this whole thing. One of them had the most unfortunate nickname. You know what it was? Blank Thomas. What was it? Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be known from here till all eternity that I'm the doubter? Yep, that's me. I'm the doubter. I'm doubting Thomas. That that's what he became known for. And yet he was one of the disciples. And the reason he was called Doubting Thomas is because when the other disciples had seen Jesus appear to them after the resurrection, they saw the resurrected Christ, they told Thomas, and Thomas said, I don't believe you. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going to believe unless you let me touch his hands and feel the holes in his hands and in his side. Then I'll believe. Jesus comes and he meets with Thomas. And one thing that Jesus says to him, he says, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And in that moment, he fell to his knees, I imagine, and he says these words, my Lord and my God. It became real personal. God became real. God became real personal. He said, my Lord and my God. Not just God out there, but mine. And then Jesus said these words, blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. He says, you're blessed because you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. And that's where we find ourselves, isn't it? We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't seen the rest of the re- resurrected Jesus. I've read those passages before and go, yeah, I'd like to do that too. I'd like to put my hands in Jesus, you know, hands and in his side, and then I would know for sure. And then it would be, it'd be settled. Here's the resurrected Christ. But that's maybe one of the reasons why the disciples were so vigorous and so fervent in sharing the faith. There was no doubt in their mind. They were willing to die for their faith, some gruesome deaths. Why? Because it's real. Because it's true. And their doubt turned to faith. So doubt is, doubt is normal. I might even make a case to say that doubt is good. As a starting point, it's what you do with doubt that really matters. It really becomes the foundation of faith because when there's doubt, you could either lean into doubt and go, because I have doubt, then my faith must be done and I'm, I'm gone, I walk away. Or, if you have doubt, you start asking the questions. But then you start leaning into those questions. You start searching for answers. You start having conversations. You dig through the scriptures. You talk with other people. And doubt in that way can really make us hungry, can make us grow, can make us stronger. And so if we lean into doubt, it's not a bad thing because it can lead us to answers. And it can lead us to experiencing faith in the most powerful ways. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of it. When I'm not sure, but I feel like God is maybe telling me to do something and I go for it anyway, in faith, I allow God to come through in a big way and it really, really stretches my faith. So just recognizing that doubt is normal. Doubt is good as a starting point. It, it, it's, it's a common, I think, human experience for us. Now it's what do we, what do, we do with that? Because if Satan sees that as a tool, that he can get doubt, but it's like a fiery arrow, right? It can begin to spread. And it can begin to kind of consume us to the point where it can completely take us out. So there's two things when I want to talk about, when I want to talk about faith. One is, first, we have to pick it up. It's a shield. We actually have to have it. So I'm going to spend a good bit of time talking about how do we have faith? 
And what, is, what does faith look like? And then secondly, once we have a, a shield, you actually have to position it against where the arrows are going. You have to use it. You have to leverage it in that way. You have to pick up your shield. As long as you don't have faith, you live in doubt and you're defeated. And so I'm talking to a lot of you who maybe have never taken that step of faith before. You've never said, you know, I've crossed the line where I believe in Jesus Christ, where you could say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ has, I've given my life to him. I believe he's the son of God. He's forgiven me of my sins. I'm living my life for him. I'm talking to those of you who've said, I don't know if I can get to that point. I've never said that. There are people around me. And you know, the good news is you're in the right place. You're in a place where the scripture talks about hearing the good news. It comes through hearing. Faith comes through hearing God's word. But if you doubt and if you aren't sure, James chapter 1 talks about you're like a man who's tossed about by the waves. And isn't that true in life? If we doubt anything, isn't it nice to make a concrete decision in your life? This is what I'm going to do. And then you know and you go for it. But when you're not sure, when you're wavering, when you're doubting, it's like on the one hand, on the other hand, I'm just not sure. What do I do? What do I believe? Maybe this guy's right. Maybe this one's right. And what happens is, there's no, there's no movement. There's paralysis there. And there's nothing to anchor your life in. And so, so faith comes and says, I'm going to be clear. I'm going to, have, I'm going to know what I stand for. And I'm going to know where I, where I go. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, this was the verse that, that, that somebody, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, when I was struggling in, in Bible school with faith, they said, read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I didn't remember what it said there, and so I, I turned to it. Went to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And here's what it says. What is faith? <laughs> I love it when the Bible asks the questions we're asking. What is faith? And then it goes on to answer it. Listen to this answer. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. Isn't that cool? Sometimes we think of faith as just kind of being this like, maybe I'm hoping that it's right. No, confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And this isn't just choosing our own things to hope for. This is the hope that God has given us, the truths that God has given us, that those things that we hope for, we have confident assurance. And that's why when you meet somebody who has faith, that's attractive, that's appealing, because they seem sure. They seem they, they, they know where they're going and what God is doing and where God is in their life. So it's this confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And then I love this next part. It is evidence of things we cannot yet see. Faith is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. Now, if you break that down for a minute, that just is completely backwards. We want evidence so that we can have faith, that we can put our belief in something, right? I mean, we're all like rational, you know, living in the 21st century. We're, we're, we're the smartest people that have ever lived, right? Because we know everything that everyone else has ever had in the generations before. We're scientific. We're rational. We have technology progressive like never before. And so show me evidence, and I will believe. We are very much like that. But, but that's not what this says. It says that faith is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. How is faith itself the evidence? Are, are any of you still with? Are you with me? Because I don't want to. Is, is that confusing? Because <laughs> it's, it's weird, right? I mean, faith itself is the evidence. Is, is what he's saying. Is what he's saying here. So this is a great mystery. Now we've we we believe that seeing is believing, right? How many of you said seeing is believing, right? Somebody tells you a weird story. 
There was this guy, and we were in the house, and then the furniture started moving, the doors started closing, and I swear there was a ghost. And then you're like, okay, you know, sure, whatever. Somebody describes maybe a great healing or something, or or somebody swears by some kind of product, and you're like, you know, I'll see it. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. So seeing is believing is common for us. But what this scripture is saying, and what I believe faith is, is this. Believing is seeing. You can go home right now. I mean, give me an amen, somebody. You're, you're like, I'm not going to amen. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Believing is seeing. And I believe this is such a mystery. This is the mystery that unlocks faith. So many of us stand on the other side and go, seeing is believing. When I see it, when I see it, and we're looking for evidence, evidence, proof, 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 you're going to be forever waiting because it doesn't require any faith. But the irony isn't just that faith is blind, meaning you just accept things that you can't see. The seeing comes from the believing. That's the power of faith. Now, now let me back this up for you. Faith is what begins the process of seeing. I want to read to you out of Matthew chapter 13. If you are able to, Matthew chapter 13, go, go there with me. Matthew chapter 13, and um, I'm going to start at verse 12. Now, the context of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is teaching a parable, a story about the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about the seed of faith and how it takes root in people's lives when the word of God is spread and how some people disregard it and others, you know, it grows and, and becomes strong. And so he's telling the story, but now you get this little snapshot after the story, like behind the scenes of what's going on with the disciples. And here's what he says, says to them in verse 12. To those who are open to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. Right? So what, what's required here? If you're open to my teaching, that's when the, that's when the knowledge is going to come and there will be an abundance of it. But to those who are not listening, even what they have will be taken away from them. That is why I tell these stories, because people see what I do, but they don't really see. They hear what I say, but they don't really hear, and they don't understand. Then he says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, you will hear my words, but will not understand. You will see what I do, but you will not perceive its meaning. There's the, that's the reality here, that, that some of us here this morning, when we're worshiping and singing those songs, Holy Spirit, come. For some of us, We feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're inviting the Holy Spirit as a reality here. And that God is present. And others of us could just look completely skeptically and go, they're just singing a song. There's there's nothing happening. We're in a school gym. It's a band, just like we hear anywhere else. And there's nothing happening. How can we have those two completely contradictory experiences, seemingly? Because you can hear, listen and not hear. You can have eyes and you cannot see. And then he goes on to say, For the hearts of these people are hardened. This is the scripture he's quoting. And their ears cannot hear, and their eyes, they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So you could literally be attending church your entire life and miss it. You could hear the messages, you could hear the scriptures, you could see what God is doing, but if your heart is hardened, and if you aren't willing to take the step of faith, you will never see. And the irony is, and the the beauty of it is, that those who have given their lives to Christ, who have taken that step of faith, saying, I believe, just like one person in the New Testament said, I do believe, help my unbelief, and they're both are still sometimes present. 
But those of us who take that step start seeing, and all of a sudden, your eyes are open to a whole new reality. And all of a sudden, you're going, yes, I get it now. I get it. Jesus is real to me. The Scriptures are real to me. They're revealing who God is, and, 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 I, and I feel what happens in the church and what happens in my life, and God is transforming me. My eyes are open to what God has to do. Believing is seeing. And it says in Romans 10, verse 17, yet faith comes from listening to this message of good news, the good news about Christ. And that's why I said you're in the right place. Because when you begin to open your heart to hearing the message of Christ, you're going to be able to feel what he's doing and what he's doing in your life. I love this scene. You guys remember the Indiana Jones movies? And I'll probably botch some of the scene, but the general gist is, because I have poor movie recall, but I remember this scene. He's, he's getting ready to get the, the treasure at the end of one of his adventures, right? And just before he gets to the treasure, he's in this, this place. And you talked to, you know, Micah talked about the abyss, right? This, this canyon, the Grand Canyon. You remember the scene? He's on a ledge, and there's this huge, huge chasm. He can't throw his little, you know, whip over it. He can't jump it. There's nothing around. It's just hundreds and hundreds of feet straight down, no matter where you look. And he's, and he's going, how do, I, how do I cross this? And he remembers part of, the, part, part of the, the mystery of how he was solving this whole thing was, and the words came to him, you know, it's a step of faith. Take a leap of faith, a step of faith. And he's going, he's starting to, the wheels are starting to spin. I know, what, I know what I need to do with this. I, this is crazy. I can't cross this chasm. Step of faith, step of faith, a leap of faith. And remember the, the camera kind of pans in, and he's on that ledge. He's, he's getting to the end, and it's just straight down, and, you kind of see him put, it, put, it, put his foot up, and, and then he's like, and leans forward. Once you hit that point, you know you're a goner, right? And what happens is he landed. He landed down, and he put another foot down, and sure enough, there was this invisible bridge that he didn't see, and then the camera angle kind of pans to the side, and you can kind of start seeing the bridge that was there, and he walked across. And, and, and so when we take these steps... When we take faith, we begin to see with eyes we have never seen before. And a whole new world opens up for us. So it's not just blind. It's not just wishful thinking. It's having a confident assurance. But what about faith versus science? And what about science? People always seem to put these two on opposite ends of the spectrum. They, you either have faith or you trust in science. And science just disproves faith. That is so far from the truth. They are not at odds with each other whatsoever. They are not at, at odds with, with each other. They actually complement each other. Science, as far as I understand, reveals more and more of the mystery and the grandness of God. It just actually shows us more. The more scientific knowledge finds out the amazing things of the most minuscule microscopic molecules and breaks them down into tiny parts and tinier parts and tinier parts. and It's it just... That doesn't say that there's no God. It just goes to the amazing mystery of who God is. Or what about space? You know, the other, the other week, um, we have a Netflix uh, DVD kind of subscription thing. And, and so, uh, we, you know, you send a, turn in a video, and then another one comes back. And we turned one in, and I was, you know, looking forward to getting a new video. And Chan and I would just watch it one night when the girls were uh, in bed. And so I was like, all right, what kind of action-adventure? And then it arrives, and it's Hubble Telescope IMAX. What a downer. I mean, this is like we're on a Friday night. I mean, this is, we're kind of geeky in that way. I guess that tells you a little bit about Shannon. She loves space. So 
I'm like, really? The movie we have? All right, let's watch the DVD. Get the popcorn. We're going to watch Hubble Telescope, you know, out in space. Phenomenal. Absolutely mind-boggling. And you kind of go, okay, who are we? I mean, sometimes I, I can't believe that life exists on this tiny blue planet. Any direction you go in space, we have not, I mean, light years, and we can't even fathom those numbers, can we? What light years are, millions and millions of years. Are we ever going to hit the end of the universe? And if we hit a wall, will, will that disprove God, or will we go, what's on the other side of the wall? It just blows our mind. And here, that's why I don't see any, any conflict with faith and science, because they're answering different questions. Science answers the what and the how. At least it tries to. We try to understand our world. What's happening? How does it work? What and how? What and how? Faith doesn't try to answer the what and the how. Faith answers the who and the why. Questions science will never answer. The most rational answers will never tell you the who is behind everything and who we are in our soul and why. Science cannot explain why. They can, if the Big Bang is true... God did an amazing thing. I have no conflict with that. Not at all. It doesn't affect me whatsoever. Because that's what God used to create, create the world. And we're not going to get into all these little, little debates right now, but it still can't tell me why. The Big Bang can't say, why? Why did this happen? Why am I here? Why am I on earth? What's my purpose? Who stands behind this? And so forever, even in the best of science, you're just doubting. Because there's more unknowns than we'll ever know. And there's a beauty in faith that surrenders to the mystery. There's a beauty that just says, you know what? I love having mystery and awe. And the more science reveals, the more amazing God actually becomes to me. There's not a battle there. Faith moves us from the unbelievable to the undeniable. See, doubt is un unbelievable. I can't believe. But when faith steps in, we see the undeniable. And sometimes you can't know everything, but you can see some undeniable things. For example, is it, is it foolish to go out on, this, on a lake of ice? You know, that you, you hope it's frozen, but you don't know. No one's measured it. Nobody, you know, you weren't out there. You didn't have somebody that took a picture and said the ice is this thick. But the question is, are you going to go out on, on that ice? So it's a, it, it might be unbelievable because you have nothing, you know, maybe that you yourself have concretely seen or tested. But there can be a lot of undeniable things in and around that. Maybe you go, oh man, that, that giant moose that weighs more than me just walked across the lake. The weather has been cold, you know, for the last month at below freezing. I've, I've lived in these parts before, and I know from past experience, there may be some undeniable things in your own past, in your own experience. There may be signs all around you. And scripture says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the faith, maybe you see the undeniableness of God in creation. And, and scripture talks about that all creation cries out. It screams out. It lets us know that God is real. And you see it all around you. Maybe you see it in the people around you. Somebody who's been transformed. Somebody whose life has been radically changed. You don't maybe get it, but it's undeniable what has happened in their life. Maybe it's undeniable what you've seen God do through the church, through communities, through effort of different people, and you're going, it's undeniable. Maybe the undeniableness is also in your own heart. I can't deny that, that when I'm in church or when I hear God's word, I just I feel a tug. I, feel so, I know there's something more. 
and you look inward too, that there's something undeniable that may be pulling you. That's faith. God is stirring. And faith is the way that we make this relationship with Christ real. Hebrews 11, in that famous faith chapter, 11 verse 6 says this, So you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God. Impossible to come to God and please him without faith. It's where we put our whole trust in him, and this is honoring to God. And then, on the flip side of that, our eyes are open, our ears are open, our hearts are open, and God begins that transformation, and he brings us to life. I think some of you this morning, it's time. It's time. I mean, it's not because I'm telling you, but I think it's time for you to own up maybe to what God's been pulling on you. And, and on the other side, the restoration, the healing, the life that comes, it's powerful. Your life will never be the same. Your eyes will never be the same. Your ears will never be the same. Your heart will never be the same. But what about those who have taken that step before? Is it a one-time thing? I have faith. I gave my life to Christ way back whenever. I was baptized. It's all good. Check. Got my ticket. Yeah. That what you just read there in Hebrews eleven six. Yep. I gave. Yep. I came to Him in faith. It's all done. The nature of a shield, it has to be moved. It does you no good if it's laying on the floor. It doesn't do you any good if your guard is let down. The scripture says in every battle, faith must be your shield. And some of us, we've allowed ourselves to get attacked by doubt. Because the doubts will come again and again in life. They'll come again and again. Let me put it this way. Faith is not a state of knowing, but a state of living. Faith is not a state of knowing, but it's a state of living, a state of being. And sometimes I think we think it's all intellectual. I've got to make this choice. I'm going to decide to follow Christ, or I'm going to decide to believe in Him, and I'm done. Faith without works, Scripture says, is dead. And a dead faith doesn't protect you from doubt. It doesn't protect you from Satan. We've got to put faith into action. One of my favorite illustrations is a personal one. Um, for my 30th birthday, I had a surprise uh, gift from my wife. And, um, and so we, we drove somewhere with some friends. I had no idea where we were going. And next thing I knew, they were strapping a parachute to my back. <laughs> and she wasn't jumping with me. <laughs> okay. At least I made it to 30, <laughs> was my hope. Um, I think she took out a life insurance policy the day before. But we were going skydiving. And so I went with some friends. She stayed on the ground and, uh, and was going to anxiously await my arrival. But I think in terms of, of faith, and I think many times it's like we think in terms of God and faith like a parachute. And many of us who've, who've said, okay, we picked up our shield or we picked up our parachute, I believe in God. He's got my back. He's there to catch me when I fall. He's going he's gonna to watch out for me. I got him. We go through life. God's got my back. Oh, yeah, I got faith. I made that decision. See, I go to church. See, read my Bible. Got faith. And you never jump. You've never left the ground. You just keep going to church. 
you just keep going, I, I did that once, or maybe you don't even do that. Maybe you just have made that decision. Silly. You go, what kind of idiot walks around with a parachute his whole life and never jumps? Faith is dead without being put into practice. And so I have to get up on that plane, and with every foot of altitude, right, your heart rate goes up. Your anticipation goes up. Your anxiousness goes up. Because there are moments in your life where faith comes to a test, and you go, do, do I really believe what I believe? Is God really going to come through? Are his promises really real? Can he really save my marriage? Can he really turn my kids around? Can he really heal? Can he really give me direction? Will he really come through? Can I really find a job? Can I really find peace? That's when those moments of anxiety come. Am I really going to take the step of faith? Am I going to go and volunteer and serve in some ministry or start something in the community? Am I going to take this new job or start a new business? Those steps of faith where, where you maybe feel God pulling you, until you act on them, your faith is dead. And so faith gets strengthened and faith defeats the doubt when you act on it. So there comes the point in time where they open the airplane door. And they open that door and you look down and there is nothing. Except blue skies and clouds and the earth. 12,000 feet below. And they open the door and it's at some point you have to go to the edge of that plane. Do I have, do I have faith in that parachute? When, when will I know if I have faith in that parachute? Do I have faith when I'm standing on the ledge in that parachute? No. It's when you jump. And that's when believing is going to be seen. Right? That's when my believing is going to be seen, at least I hope, in this case. And so I step out of that airplane. I remember stepping out of that airplane, and instantly you hit speeds of 100, 120 miles an hour, terminal velocity, and it's like... I mean, I'm... Not exaggerating, your cheeks are just fluttering all over. It's just insanely awesome. It's a rush. You know, and then you're going, okay, this is fun. Now pull the cord. <laughs> Hits the brakes. All right. Do I have faith? Was faith proven? How do I feel now about a parachute as a person who's gone skydiving? It works. <laughs> it really does what it says it's supposed to do. And so... Some of us just, we're not leveraging the faith that we have. We're not putting it into practice. We're not, we're not leaning into the things that we have. And what we tend to do is we have doubt. God, I don't know if you're coming through. I don't know if you're real in this area. And what we do is we lean into our doubt. And we let our mind continue to go and we conjure up all these other scenarios. We listen to the voices that play into our doubt. And we actually back away from faith. And what faith calls us to do is to lean into your faith. Especially when you doubt. Lean into your faith. Put your faith full on against these things. Say, God, I believe that your word is true. What you said is true. You love me. You know me. Your grace is real. Your forgiveness is real. Your plan for my life is real. It begins to build your faith. You act on it. You step out into those things. And faith comes to life. And, you, and Satan goes, can't get them. Can't get them. Too much faith. Blocked off my shield, my invisible shield. You know, blocking the arrows. Come on, gotta have a little fun. Um, faith moves us forward. Doubt paralyzes us. Remember, faith is not a state of knowing; it's a state of living. When I think about my own life and times where struggles hit, when challenges come, when I get overwhelmed, when I feel adrift, just too much, faith rounds me as an anchor in crisis. God's real. 
He knows my life. He knows what's going on. I turn to Him, to the Creator. When I pray and process big decisions, deal with big circumstances, and I get, again, anxious, faith is my peace. I lean into that faith and I say, God, I know I'm not alone. I can't imagine facing life without Christ. I mean, I have great conversations with my wife. I love friends who I process things with. But to, go, to know that God has not left me, He's not leaving my side, He is with me wherever I go, is powerful. When I struggle with the current situation, faith gives me hope. I lean into going, God, I know you have a plan for my life. I know you take my past and my present, and you're working all those things out for a, a desirable future that you have for me. Faith gives me that confidence to move forward. When guilt and sin condemn me, oh man, Mark, you screwed up that time. How could you? You're a pastor. How could you? Whatever. We've all been there. Faith gives me freedom. It doesn't condemn me. It gives me grace and forgiveness. It reminds me that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm valued. And so instead of cowering, instead of backing into a corner, instead of like whipping myself and punishing myself, I can stand up and go, no. I lean into faith, and I lean into the trust of God and the truth of what He is, and I come overcome that doubt. Some of you need to pick up your shield of faith today. You need to step out of that airplane. I'll tell you, it's a lot more fun than watching skydivers with skydiving. So you either come here and you keep watching for a long time, or you become part of the jumping crew. And same thing with some of us who've been in the church for a while, who have faith. When was the last time you risked anything for your faith? I can't talk to my coworker. I can't invite my neighbor to church. or I don't have time to serve there. I could never give my resources like that to the tithing. You've got to be kidding me. 10%, you've got to be kidding me. No, it's not possible. Faith. I don't know what area you are, but when was the last time you risked something for God and watched that shoot open and tell a great story? My story is much better because I jumped out of that plane than had I told the story one time for my 30th birthday. Shannon took me skydiving and I put that parachute on, but I chickened out. That's not a great story. That's like too many of our faith stories. We don't have good stories to tell because we haven't risked. Faith and experiencing the things of God puts doubt in the rearview mirror because God comes through each and every time. And he's real and he's true. When I imagine a church filled with faith, of people who are risking, people who are saying, you know, I'm going to hold my ground, I'm going to stand firm, it's powerful what God can do. So what are you going to do today? Let's stand and pray.